invite you to go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Surprise! <laughs> uh, there are some folks that I think just automatically come expecting to hear out of a Christmas passage, and I thought I wouldn't disappoint you this morning. And how many of you know that there's more contained in one small passage than can ever be exhausted in a single service? There have been times down through our country's history where that famous men like D.L. Moody, who conducted a 30-day revival meeting in which thousands of people attended, and he preached every single night out of John 3.16 for 30 straight nights, and he never preached the same sermon twice. You think of that. And I believe that this Bible that's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword has so many dimensions and facets that speak to the heart of man and allow us to see things at moments in time in our Christian experience when for years before we never saw it, though looked often. And I, I hope that that will be the case again today. In Luke chapter 2, and we'll continue yet again with our sermon series here on the screen in front of you, Draw Near in Worship. Did you notice that they're trying in so many places to keep us apart again? <laughs> Saying you need to keep your distance. Keep, keep a safe distance. But God has never said anything of the sort. He always says, draw near. Draw near. And so I hope that as we draw near to the Lord, we'll do so with a spirit of worship. And today it's my prayer that as we examine a familiar Christmas passage, that we will learn just perhaps a little bit more about what it means to come to Him with that which rises to the level of pure worship. You know, there's something in the Bible that's called vain worship. Vain worship. That indicates to us that it's really just smoke and mirrors. There's nothing much really to it at all. It is lacking substance and merit. It is an exercise in vanity and in the flesh. And there's a great deal that goes on in the name of church that might be termed vain worship. Now, I'm not trying to make myself the worship policeman because I'm not the one to determine what somebody else's worship may or may not be emanating from their heart because I'm not God, I can't see into their hearts. But what I do know and understand is that when we get so involved in the performance of what we might call worship, that we are disheartened if people don't give us affirmation, then that wasn't worship at all. It was self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, which is entirely juxtaposed to what the worship of God will be. And so, with that in mind, in verse 1 we read, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let us pray together. Lord God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our spiritual understanding today. Lord, lead us to become more intimate in our worship, more pure in our purpose, our motive for worship. Lord, if there be somebody here today that does not know Thee, may today be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that You would allow me to know what it is this hour to experience the fullness of Your power in my life. And this I ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. As I begin this message, I want you to know that the subject of worship is one that in some people's minds is very monolithic. It's kind of one-dimensional. They think it really is what we do in a church service or a song service. But it transcends just that. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that whatever you do out of a heart of love with all of your heart as unto the Lord rises to what might be considered an act of worship to the Lord. Today, mamas, as you care for and cradle babies and love on them and dote on them and, and care for them, 
if you do that as were you were as though you were cradling the Lord and loving the Lord and 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 thinking on Jesus and wanting to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, those very daily tasks that you perform can be done so as an act of worship unto the Lord. You don't have to sing a song. You don't have to have lights on. You don't have to be in a stained glass cathedral for it to be considered an act of worship unto the Lord. Now having said that, I want to just tell you that worship really is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. You say, well, I think of worship as music and something that gives me the warm fuzzies and gives me goosebumps all over my body. And when it's really good worship, I get goosebumps on top of the goosebumps. And I go home with my breath taken away because of the great music or the wonderful uh, thoughts that were shared. And I, I maybe had a tear in my eye. I laughed a little bit. We call that great worship. The truth is, my friends, that there is an element in worship that cannot be overlooked. And that is this. That whatever it is that God desires from you, we must understand that is also what the devil desires from you. If we were to do a study of Satan himself, we would discover that what occasioned his fall from heaven was his desire to be worshipped as God. And in fact, when he tempted the Lord, after the Lord had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he led him up to the pinnacle of the temple, he demanded to be worshipped by Jesus. And the Lord answered with God's word that thou shalt have no other gods before me, and him only shalt thou worship. And so we can see from the narrative of Scripture that what is justly given to God is coveted by the devil. And so what he wants to do is anything and everything he can do to prevent you from offering pure worship to the Lord. Now I want to just tell you that the devil doesn't mind if you go to church. In fact, he would kind of like you to go to a church that's a little milk toast. In fact, he would like you to go every time the doors are open to a church that's kind of got a little bit of strange doctrine, but is filled with really sweet people. He'd really like it if you went there. Because you would check the spiritual box of your things to do and get that itch scratched, but you would never draw any closer to the Lord and you would certainly never pose any greater risk to the devil's domination in your area because you've settled into some lukewarmness within a church. So the devil doesn't care if you go to church. He just doesn't want you to go to a Bible preaching church. The devil doesn't care if you worship so long as Flesh is involved in it because it perverts it and it never rises to the level of granting to God what is justly due Him. 
And so understand, whenever we gather to worship, the devil is doing everything that is mean to try to prevent what might be considered a pure form of worship that would draw us ever closer to God and to the center of His will for our life. Are we tracking together right now? And I, I, I see some of you thinking real hard about what's being said, and some of you are thinking about what's for lunch. But I, I hope I can get everybody on board together with this for just a few moments. I want you to know that the Christmas season is one characterized by many things. Our world has sought to paganize and commercialize that which is precious and holy. The celebration of the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords here on earth. As believers, we have seen the traditions of Christmas become the framework for our worship at that time of year. A lot of traditional things we do that we, we feel like we're worshiping the Lord within the context of that. When we look at the scenes that are depicted at Christmas and at times the, the music that is rendered, it is not difficult for us to see that there has been a perversion of what could be called pure worship around the celebration of Christmas. It should indeed be a, a time of worship, but that worship should be focused on God alone. On God alone. I'm afraid that often our lives don't reflect that. I'm sad to tell you, I'm sure that there have been many days in my life spent around Christmas seasons that didn't really reflect that it was all about Him. It was all about Him and the kids and the grandkids and the family and maintaining traditions. There's definitely a consumer aspect to this, commercial aspect to this, a familial aspect to this. We've tried to spin it all in such a way that it's okay. And I want to challenge conventional thought today with truth. I want you to be like the Bereans and see whether or not these things are so by searching the Scriptures. If it doesn't resonate with you, I want you to go home and dig into the Scriptures and, and see where it is that we have deviated from the truth revealed in the Word of God. I want you to see it. But I want us to see a message today entitled, A Season of Worship. It should be just that. A season of worship. Now, last night we had the Spanish ministry gather at our home. We had about 40 or 45 people that gathered together and we had a wonderful time of fellowship and carne asada together. And we sang some carols and we listened to some music and we had a time in the Word and it was just a lovely time of fellowship. And it was all centered around what we shared in common because of Jesus Christ. And as I looked at many of those folks, I recognized that they were coming out of a religious system called Roman Catholicism 
that is characterized in many regards by ritual and ceremonialism, especially accentuated around this time of year. Many of them for all of their lives until they came to know Christ as Savior, many of those did so here at Freeway. Would, they would go to Mass and they would pray the Rosary and they would take communion on, on Christmas Eve. And they had all of these visions of what Christmas consisted of traditionally that was termed worship But my friends, it was all wrapped up in an effort to try to somehow appease an angry God so that their sins might be removed from them for a time. And if we impose self anywhere in that equation and we make it all about ourselves and what we desire, it is not really what we might term pure worship at all. And I believe today that we need to consider some things. And I've got several thoughts I want to give you, and I'm going to move really quickly. And if you're a frustrated note taker, I would encourage you to to just uh, get the picture of the uh, UR code, QR code uh, in the in the foyer, and you can get the uh, get the notes, or you can just go to the website and get them there. And uh, I want us to notice here that there are some things that we need to consider in the season of worship. I want you to consider the mystique. Evelyn sang a song about the, the wonder and, and the mystique, the mystery of what took place at Christmas, right? And how amazing that it was. And there are those that get wrapped up, and there is an element of awe and wonder that must encompass worship at some point in time. And... I, I, I get that part because God is so far beyond the, the ability of mankind in our finite minds to get a hold of. If we could somehow in our finiteness try to come to a place where we understand God in His ways, then we would probably come to the place where we feel like we didn't need Him all that much anymore. But His ways are so far above our ways, the Bible says they are past finding out. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that His love is so mind-blowing, it passes knowledge. But I want to spend my life just trying to figure some of that stuff out. And when I learn just a little bit more, you know what? That blows my mind. That one little piece I learned, that blows my mind. And I hope that it blows yours too. And as I'm mind-blown, as it were, about the fact that God would show favor to somebody like me, My heart is filled with wonder of it. And that aspect of worship is something that I I cannot remove from what will inevitably become a part of my worship to God. But while the shepherds and wise men and those that learned of the nativity were filled with wonder, Wonder about the mystery alone should not serve as the basis of our worship. That shouldn't just be, I don't understand, I don't know, I don't get this, how did this happen? And there was a lot of those questions being asked around this particular event, and we read of it especially in verse 18 where it says, And all thee that heard it wondered at those things 
which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was thinking on them, and everybody that was hearing about it, they were wondering about it. There was a mystique surrounding the advent of Christ. And there are many that think, if, if our worship isn't filled with some aspect of the mystery of the wonder, then it's not really worship. But I'm going to tell you, that should not be the basis for our worship or we will become mystics. We'll be so ethereal that our lives are lived existentially. It's all about our experiences, and it's not all about the truth. It's not all about the truth. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, it's not the physical that guides me, it's God that is guiding me. And how does He do that? Well, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He guides me with His Word. And Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So I submit to you this morning that our worship will be rooted in the truth of God's Word, not just in a mystical experience and wonderment about how did this all come to pass? This is but one wonderful chapter in God's unfolding plan of redemption. Our wonder, and listen to this carefully, should be consumed with the why and not simply the how of the advent of Christ. How can a virgin have a baby. That's, it's never happened. It, it's, it's not physically, humanly possible for a virgin to have a baby. And people get wrapped up in the how. How could God come down? How could angels communicate with men? And all of that. Let our hearts be filled with the wonder of why that it happened, not just think that we have to know how it happened. There's a certain measure of Things that God has revealed in His Word that you and I will never be able to explain. Is that okay with you? It is with me. You know why? It reveals that I have a God that's so much bigger than me, so much smarter than me, so much more powerful than I am, that I can't even begin to scratch the surface of understanding how He does the things that He does. But you know, when I focus on the why of Christmas, instead of the how, that impacts me. That makes it personal. Because what it means is that God came down to this earth to save me. I'm not taken aside by the wonder of how did that happen. I'm taken up with the wonder of, God, why should you love me that much? Because that's what it's about. And what will spawn that degree of worship in your heart that we're talking about is for you to get caught up in the wonder of why should you love me so? Not just, how in the world did you do that? Sometime back, Linda and I sat through a magic show on vacation. 
And uh, there was a guy up there doing tricks on, on, on the stage. We were on vacation. And uh, there was a lot of what I was watching that I just, I, I, I'm like, I'm looking at her like, man, how did he do that? She's like, I don't know, just watch the show. Right? I'm like, wow, how in the world did he do that one? I don't know. I can't enjoy the show with you being all worried about how that happened. Just enjoy it. And just with simple childlike faith, why don't you say, God, I can't explain all the how, but I'm taken up with why you did this. And when I go there, I start to worship. When I'm wrapped up with the how, I become scientific. And you're not going to meet God scientifically, though He reveals Himself in science. You're going to know God on the basis of faith. Trusting what I cannot explain and I may not fully comprehend, but I'm just going to believe what God said. Consider the mystique in worship. Consider, secondly, the messengers. The messengers. Well, the Bible tells us that the angels came and they brought a message. The angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were so afraid. And we, we know the narrative which we have read. And a study of angelology reveals to us that angels are the messengers of God. It's interesting that as we read in the book of Revelation, the seven letters there that were written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, each one representative of a period of church history, those letters were addressed to the angel of the church in the place that it was directed. Church in Philadelphia, angel of the church in Ephesus, the angel of the church in Thyatira, the angel of the church in Laodicea. On and on it went. Seven churches. And you say, was there an angel at the church? Yes. There's an angel at this church. You're looking at him. You think I'm joking? <laughs> Has my halo slipper fallen? Maybe need to shine it up. You don't shine your halo for a quarter, mister. But look, I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of an angel, but what I am saying is this. The letter written to those churches was addressed to the pastor, the angel of the church. And what was the pastor to do? He was not to have a message of his own which he would deliver. He is to deliver the message of God. Do you know what the angels do? God's bidding. And often what we find them doing is delivering His message, not their own. Now we know that there are other things that angels do. They have a full-time job being my guardian angel when I'm behind the wheel, I'm sure. But the fact is that it's not so much the guardianship over the people of God, but communicating God's truth. And we see them doing that quite frequently, especially in the narrative of Christmas. Appearing to Joseph, and appearing to Mary, and appearing to the shepherds, and so forth, and delivering a message from the Lord. 
And the Bible reveals in Colossians 2.18 that there are many who were deceived into the vain worship of angels. And somehow there are those that look at this whole nativity scene and they see angels on bended wing hovering over the place where Jesus lay and somehow they get so wrapped up in the mystique of angels and what they might be doing that it becomes a preoccupation with them to the extent that they they want to wear it on their lapel they want to have a guardian a picture of a guardian angel somewhere posted in their home and they want to hear about angels in the christmas carols and the truth is this my friends that there's a lot of what has come to be traditional thought about angels that is entirely made up in the minds of men. Do you know that when your loved ones die, they don't become angels? They don't. And, you know, when the little bell rings, they don't get their wings. You never saw that one? <laughs> uh what we need to realize is that when a believer departs from this life, their job is not then to watch over you. God doesn't need their help. He's got that all covered. I, I know, I'm just I'm blowing people's mystique to smithereens right now. And there's a lot of people that are going to need crisis counseling after church. Right? I, you know, I'm not even going you know, to go into the whole thing. There's no Santa Claus right now because that would just send you right over the edge. You know, we just may as well medicate you and put you to bed. That's all. But uh, the fact is that we have a lot of ideas about what angels are and what they do that are not rooted in the truth whatsoever. We've just made it all up. But fundamentally what they do is God's bidding, and in many cases they are the messengers of God. And that's why God called in, in, in Revelation 2 and 3 pastors angels. Because they were to be the ambassadors of God to deliver His message to His people. And we're to worship the one that the angels worship. Not somehow be taken up with an obsession with them. Because I'm just going to say this to you, that if you become somewhat obsessed with angels, you're giving thought, energy, time, attention, and passion to the creation not to the Creator. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 6 reveals that it is Christ that the angels worship. So why would I want to waste any time being so taken up with the angels that I miss worshiping the one that made them? Thank you, Brother John. I appreciate that. It's always good to have affirmation from one person. <laughs> and thank you for the laugh. Appreciate that too. I, I, I got two laughs out of that, yours and mine. <laughs> consideration of the messengers. Let us see the consideration of the manger of the manger. Now I don't mean just the the trough that Jesus was laid in. By the way, we all know that's what a manger is, right? It's a wooden trough. What do, what do troughs serve to do? 
Yeah, it's a feeding place for cattle. And so they put their hay in the trough or, or their oats in the trough and the cattle would go there. And so they probably you know, dumped out whatever was in there, put a fresh bed of hay in there. And that's where Jesus lay. And we get all taken up with the manger aspect of it. And what I mean by that is the images of the nativity. And many have foolishly made the images of the nativity into something that is loved and cherished rather, rather than the one that the manger cradled. It's just so important to have the nativity scene all complete on the coffee table, right? And so we, we get all taken up with that. We don't feel like, man, it's not even Christmas if, if we don't have the cow over in the corner. You've got to have the cow. And where's the lamb? And, and were there, was there a burrow or a, a donkey? He had to be there. That's what they wrote in on. And, and we get all wrapped up in that, in all of the external things, but what it amounts to is those things that were crafted and that were created. I think we have to guard against the worship of that which is created rather than worshiping the one that made them. That's what would be an indication of end time apostasy before the return of the Lord and the, and the end of the age is that there will be people that worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. And so, be careful that we don't get so taken up with obsessing about our images of what Christmas had to be, and we think so much on that, that we miss really the focal point of our worship. And one of the things that could very simply be cleared up just right now, you realize that there's a pretty strong likelihood that Jesus wasn't born in the dead of winter. You realize that. Because traditionally, shepherds would not be out on the mountains laying around under the stars with the sheep. They'd be seeking some shelter indoors and building fires and somehow trying to get their, their livestock to a sheltered place, not out under the stars with the sheep. I'm just saying. So there's a lot of tradition attached to the celebration. And what we need to do is dispel ourselves of that that we get so taken up with and get re focused on what is truly important. May our passion for the images and implements of Christmas never eclipse our passion and love for Christ. Now let me pause and say, this includes our dreams and visions of what we think Christmas should be. Which means, we have to have the family do this on these days and at this time and in this way. Because that's the way we've done it for five generations in this family. And bless God, hell's going to freeze over before we change that tradition. Even if that means we bypass celebrating with the people of God at the house of God, if their schedule doesn't jive with my vision and schedule, of what Christmas is going to look like, 
we're just going to celebrate Jesus our own way, in our own place, with our own kin, if it hair lips the Pope. And so, that's what people decide to do. And what they have done then, is they have said, okay God, I'll worship you on my timetable, and on my terms, and in my own good way. And you know what? Just save it. God already knows what's in your heart. You don't have to explain it to Him. You don't have to stand there and say, well, God, you know, you see, the thing is, five generations, and yada, yada, yada. And, and, and really what we, we just ought to say is, God, right now, your birth and worshiping you through this season in a way that would lead my children and grandchildren into a greater devotion to you and your work. It's more important to me that the things that I've crafted in my mind about what's going to constitute a great Christmas, it's more important to me that those be carried out than anything else. Why don't you just tell them that, worshiper? Say, you make that sound so terrible. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill in your life. I know I'm succeeding at it right now. I'm not trying at it, but I'm succeeding at it. And the fact is that I'm, I've been guilty of it just like you have. Making it more about the gifts and about wanting to please everybody in the family, want everybody to be made to feel special. And, and then we're going to hold hands and sing a Christmas carol and pray. And we've got this whole idea. And, and if... God has another plan or idea, and maybe there's a way that God wants you to celebrate it that would draw your family closer to the Lord, and it doesn't jive with what we've crafted in our minds about what constitutes a great Christmas. We're just not doing it. Sorry, Lord, I got other plans. I know it's your birthday and all, but we got other things to celebrate right now. Isn't it amazing that the Lord is the only one who on his birthday doesn't get the presents. How would that fly over? <laughs> Our eldest, John, he, he and his wife Leo had their fifth child on Wednesday. I had, had a new grandbaby. That was pretty exciting. Well, Jonathan was born on Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's a bummer, isn't it? Now, I know, you're, you're more spiritual than I am. You're thinking, oh, how wonderful that on Christmas Eve, you know, the day before the birth of our Lord, you know, I got it. Yeah, but you were never a kid, were you? You don't want the two for birthday, do you? No, not at all. And so, listen, all I'm saying is, we went to great lengths to make sure that he felt special on the 24th. And the 25th. And sometimes I think that we just miss out on really celebrating and worshiping the one that it's really all about. I want us to notice this. The consideration of the music. And I'll move quickly through this. The Bible tells us in verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing. Is that what it says? No, it says saying. That it might have sounded like a great angel choir in heaven, but it says they were saying, not singing, but anyway, whatever. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward 
men. Music has become an inextricable part of the celebration of the season and our worship in this season. It seems to be what carries it along. That and gingerbread men, turkey, ham, I don't know. But, But good things to eat. But there are many artists that have come to love the music more than the one that they're singing about. Have you ever noticed that? We're taken up with ourselves. Performance often becomes more important than the real authentic worship. I pray that God will deliver us from performance. I have through the years had occasion to work with church musicians and be involved in church music myself. And I often tell people that are preparing to sing that until they have spent a season with tears over a piece of music, that they're probably not really ready to sing it until they have wept and cried over it. You're not ready to sing it when you can sing every note on key. You're ready to sing it when you can sing it while getting yourself completely out of the way so that it's all about Him and not at all about you. A few years ago, Miss Paula was singing a special in church. And somehow, I think there was... uh, a problem with the microphone. It didn't get turned on just right or something. I can't even remember what it was, but I know that the sound system was was not cooperating at the time. And most of the song that she sang couldn't be heard by those that were watching on the internet, and half the people in the audience couldn't hear it. She finished the song, and, and I felt really badly for her. And when she was leaving, she greeted me in the foyer and I extended my hand and I said, I want to just tell you how sorry I am that that happened to you today. And, uh, you know, that folks couldn't, couldn't hear the whole song. She said, Pastor, that's okay. I wasn't singing it to them anyway. I said, I think we'll put you on the schedule again. It's okay, Pastor. I don't want to be so wrapped up in me that if something spoils my great performance that it's, you know, just the death of me. There's so many people that are wrapped up in trying to perform that there's nothing authentic about it. It's all synthetic. It's manufactured. It's rehearsed. I remember hearing the story about a famous evangelist who was itinerant going from church to church around the country and preaching. And after a service, he had left his Bible on the, on the pew in the front and he asked some young Bible students to go retrieve his Bible for him and he was talking to some folks in the fort, could you go get it? And when, when they picked the Bible up, the notes fell out of the pastor's or the preacher's Bible, and in the margins of his notes, it said, cry here. 
Be funny here. Raise your voice here. And they were rather disheartened by that revelation. You know what it told them? This wasn't the dynamic of the Holy Spirit speaking through a man. It was a rehearsed speech. It wasn't authentic. It was synthetic. God deliver us from the academic, from the synthetic. We need the anointing of God on services that are called worship services for God to meet the need of our hearts, not just stimulate our cerebrum, but touch our hearts. That is, if you will, the cradle of worship. It's, it's not just your mind. It's the heart of the matter. It is a matter of the heart. While music itself is a means of worship, let us never worship the means but always the Messiah. I want to say this as I move quickly through. We must notice the consideration of the maiden. In this season of worship, we know as many of our friends and loved ones who have attended other forms of churches and denominations, particularly so in the Roman Catholic denomination, they have elevated Mary to a place of worship. God never intended anyone to worship anyone but Him. God never intended for anyone to worship anyone but Him. Are we clear on that? Not Mary. Not St. Christopher, whoever he was. Not St. Mark, whoever he might be. Um, not St. Joe. Not, look, not St. Barnabas. None of them. God never directed anyone in any dispensation of time to worship flesh. In fact, he pronounced woe upon his people when they tried to do so. In all of the history of the Bible, there was always a woe upon those who worshipped anyone but God alone. And so, this is not what this Scripture reveals should be the case. And what we notice here is that in Mary's Magnificat, in Chapter 1 and verse 47, she says, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Do you know what she was giving testimony to? That the child that she would soon give birth to would be her Savior. If she was divine, she would not need one. Did you hear me? So by her own testimony... And there are people that say, well, she was just trying to be humble and say the right things right there because she was just so gentle, meek, and mild. Well, was she then insincere in saying that if it wasn't true? Because if there was an ounce of insincerity, that is just a fabrication which is just a lie, and then she could never be divine. 
So which is it? If she was telling the truth, she's only human and should never be worshipped. Period. Anyone who prays to Mary, worships Mary, is an idolater. It is no better than bowing down to the sun or the moon or to a tree or to the river or praying to the harvest and moon gods and all of these things. It is idolatry. It is paganism in its very definition. The Bible reveals in the genealogy of Mary in Luke chapter 3 that she was born of the seed of man and could trace her genealogy all the way back to the Garden of Eden just like you. Just like you. And if we can trace our genealogy back to the garden, guess what? We need a Savior. And so did she. She recognized that her own need for forgiveness and salvation is revealed in the circumcision of Christ and His presentation of the temple at the temple on His eighth day when they named Him Jesus and they offered in verse 24 a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And you'll notice there in Luke, or Leviticus chapter 12 that that was an offering for sin. She recognized that she was inherently sinful, that she was favored of the Lord, not deserving of the honor that was bestowed upon her. It was a grace that she was given. And I know there are a lot of people that sit there and they're like, oh, I can't believe you're saying that, waiting for the lightning to strike or something. And the fact is, show me your verses. Okay? So, so you think, think you're all that? Let's see it. Bring it! Come on, man! You got some heat? Where is it? Don't give me some papal encyclical or decree. Give me what God said. You can say amen when I preach that good. I'll just give you permission. Just go ahead. Let, let me just say, as we come, come in for a landing here, we must consider the Messiah, the consideration of the Messiah. The focus of all of our worship should be on God and God alone. You know who lay in the manger? Who lay in the manger? It's God. Now I'm going to tell you something that you need to bear in mind. He was as much God as He lay in that bed of hay in a manger as He was on the throne of heaven. He was no less God as a baby in the manger than He was on the throne of heaven. He never laid aside His deity. He only laid aside His prerogatives as deity and chose willingly not to judge sin and sinners. Not to allow His Shekinah to shine down. Though there were times where the glory of the Lord shone through, but that was at His will. He didn't cease being God. He laid aside 
the prerogatives as deity to deal with things during that period of His time on earth. But He was fully God. He is fully cognizant of everything. I, I've pondered that a great deal that the babe in a manger was fully God. That means that He was omniscient. He knew everything. He knew everything that was going to take place before it took place. And can you imagine the patience to go through infancy? The developmental years? The patience? Knowing what he knew. How else could he as a 12-year-old confound the scholars in the temple? It revealed that he was fully God as he confounded them. He didn't lay aside his deity. He laid aside the prerogatives that he could exercise as deity. He was fully God. So laying there as a babe in a manger, he knew everything. Because he was God. You know, sometimes people ask strange things. I had somebody ask me this week, do you think that baby Jesus ever had a messy diaper? You know the answer, don't you? Of course he did. Why? He was fully God, but he was also fully human. See, I can't figure all that out. Let's go right back to the original point. It's not about how, it's all about why. It really lends meaning to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. So, he sensed, knew, understood, and experienced everything that you might have, and yet he remained without sin. And so, you and I can come to him with confidence knowing that what we're going through, he understands because he was there before us. So, we consider the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world, which means that he is your only hope. He is my only hope. And according to the Word, he is the only one who is worthy of worship, the only one who is worthy of worship and praise. The last thing I want to say is we need to, as we study worship, see the consideration of the motive. Why, why do you do it? Because that's the way we've always done it? Because that's what everybody told me I'm supposed to do? Because... That's what we do when we sing. Why? Why? The motive of pure worship is to give glory to the only one who is worthy of it. He's the only one. And that's our motive. To lift Him up. What did the, what did the shepherds do? It was glorifying and praising God. For all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. It was an act of worship. They, they went home glorifying God. Worshiping, if you will, God. With a motive to just rejoice in what God did. To these unclean men who were blessed of God to bear witness to 
such an epic moment in the history of all humanity, and God bestowed it upon these shepherds. What an amazing thing. And they're like, man, I just still can't, man, isn't it? Man, listen, hey, high five. Isn't God good? He's great. Let's, let's sing and praise. What a wonderful Savior that we have that He allowed mean men like us who cannot even enter the temple to witness something so wonderful that came out of a heart of gratitude. My friends, we are to, in love, offer our worship with wonder for the amazing love that brought Jesus to earth to save us. Brought Jesus to this earth to save us. Some time ago, several years ago, I was sitting in my office and it was on a quiet day. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I hear, and I'm like, somebody's out in the, out in the parking lot and man, they're, they're really making a lot of loud noise. Well, well the, the noise got closer. And then I looked out my window and I saw this big old Harley Davidson pull into the courtyard. And a big old guy in a leather jacket and big old heavy boots and, and big long beard and, and sunglasses on. And he, he, he rolls up. And uh, I, I was the only one in the office at the time. And, and he didn't just ring the bell. He came and he went like that on my front door. I thought, man, <laughs> I got to meet force with force, you know. And I answered, what? No, no, I didn't. I <laughs> Some of you just woke up. Anyway, uh, so I I go to the door, you know, I open the door, I say, hey, how's it going? How can I help you? He's like, "Uh, uh, is there a preacher around? I said, you got him. You're looking at him. He said, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And uh, he looked way bigger than me and a little upset, and I thought I'd better tell him that we'd be fine. So I invited him to come in, big old guy, you know, leathers and everything, and his Harley there, and and, uh, he, he came in. And I said, have a seat. Can I offer you some water or some coffee? He said, no, I just, I just want to talk to, to the preacher. I said, okay. He said, you know, I've been riding my motorcycle all over town today, going to every church that I could find. He said, I went to the Mormon church just now, and I talked to some Mormons there. And he said that, according to them, I'm not making it to heaven that I'm such an evil person that I'll never be forgiven. And he said, I just wanted to come here today to see, is there any hope for me? He said, I've been a bad person. I've done a lot of terrible things. And I just pulled in here to find out, can I be forgiven? I started to cry. I said, if you can't, none of us can. My favorite Christmas verse is 1 Timothy 1.15. It says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I said the whole reason Jesus came is to save people like you and me, to forgive us. We wept together. I took my Bible and showed him out of God's Word how that he could be sure of heaven. And with tears, he prayed for the Lord to forgive him of his sin and to save him. And he was saved. He walked out shaking his head. It's amazing that God would love me. Every once in a while, he stops in to pay me a visit and to say thank you. When was the last time you just shook your head and had to cry and said, isn't it amazing that he did this for me? Maybe we need to go back there for a minute so that we can really experience a season of worship. Father God, we thank you for the word and what it teaches us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to become pure worshipers that are rooted in your word and centered on Christ. Lord, may we make none of this about ourselves. May it all be about Thee. Our heads are bowed for just a moment.